Hello, may I welcome you to episode 44 of Moving Matters. I am your host, Colin Wynn. I hope Moving Matters will give you an insight into others working or have worked in this wonderful industry as I delve into their past, their present and their future. You will find a new episode of Moving Matters on the second and fourth Thursday of each month. In this episode, we discover that my guest began his full-time career within the industry at the tender age of 16, although he had been helping his father from the age of 11. We discuss his challenges, what he would change from his moving past, his high points, what changes he would make to the industry, the advice he would give starting out again, his predictions for the next five years, and what he does outside of the workplace. And, as always, we end with a funny moving story, or in this episode, several short funny moving stories. My guest this episode is David Strank, Director of Strank's Removals and Storage. Enjoy. Good morning, David. How are you today? Yeah, I'm very good. Thank you. Yeah, very good indeed. Welcome to Moving Matters. Thank you for being a guest. Yeah, you're welcome. Can you tell everyone about yourself and the length of time within the industry? Yes, certainly. Yes. So uh, I uh, I started full-time when I was 16 in Thornton Heath. So we lived at that time just down the road in uh, Addiscombe and uh, worked a couple of miles down the road in, in Thornton Heath. I uh, was told quite categorically I was not to join the company when I was uh, at school. I was sent to a private school for my uh, junior years. And then from there, I was all set to go to a grammar school in the uh, local area. But unfortunately, all my documentation papers went missing from the authorities. So uh, the 11 plus pass and everything like that just disappeared off the system. And uh, I had no school to go to. So, so at, uh, wow. yeah, which was a real problem. So um, come September time, after sort of all what's going on, why, why have we not had notification from the schools? I um, had to go to a, a small comprehensive school in Thornton Heath. And to be fair, it was um, probably the, the best school I went to, I think, out of all the schools I've been to. I really enjoyed it thoroughly. So I had to then go with my dad from Addiscombe to Thornton Heath where he worked, stay at the, uh, the office, walk to work, walk to school, I should say, from there, which was about a mile and a half, and then back to work where my dad was. And then we'd all go home of an evening so it was a it was a long day for me but um from that I sort of picked up on on how work was and was around the, the business right from a, from 11. I was only there a couple of years at that school and then got into the big well-known grammar school in, in Wallington which for my parents was ideal they wanted me to to achieve they wanted to be I don't know a, a lawyer or something they wanted me to be but that I hated I hated the school hated everything about it you know, you're in the top 5% of the country, and it wasn't for me. They used to pull me out of classroom to go and move pianos around the school because they seemed to think because my dad had a removal company, I could move pianos. So um, that got me, out <laughs> got me out of a few bits and pieces. But by the age of about 13, 14, my dad would ask me to come and uh, help him at weekends. You know, not heavy lifting, but we used to do a lot of big office moves over that period of time, and we used to used to work with a company called Sarnestead Removals, uh, now known Britannia Sarnesteads, and we worked together basically as, as one company. So we did a lot of work there and I would help him out on weekends and holidays. And then I then decided, well, you know, 
I'm not going to go to university or whatever, I'm going to join the police force. So I had all the paperwork in, all ready to join the cadets at 16, and um, I uh, then was working a bit more with my dad and started to realise actually I was earning quite good pay. And a cadet was going to get £36 a week, and you have to stay in Hendon for two years, and I, and I wasn't over keen on that. But luckily for my dad, he, he, he let me start full-time at 16, and I did start a week before my 16th birthday. And uh, I never looked back. And I take it then you started literally on the vans? On the vans, yeah, straight away. I was the uh, on the vans, that was it. Jobs were job and knocking them days. So we ran every day, ran on, ran off. That's, that's how it was. Lunchtime was the pub where you'd have <laughs> a pint or whatever. And then um, chips and uh, or a cafe. Never went to a cafe really until probably about five years on from there. But... Um, it was a really good life, to be fair. Nothing like it is now. You said it how it was in them days, you know. If you didn't like a member of staff, you told him what you thought of him and told him where to go. So it's completely different. We can't do that today. We can't do that today. No, it's a completely different setup how it was. We were going through a very big transition because my grandfather had died very suddenly at the age of 60 or 59, as he was, in 1976 five years before I started and it took 10 years because he left no will for the, the business to be sorted out so there was a couple of oh, wow. involved and for five years the business was being run really just being run by my father who'd always been there with no real prospects of what was going to happen and it took 10 years before it was completely sorted out he had to buy his two sisters out they had to sort out the stepmother and it was 10 years before my father actually had his business and it was all his. So that was hard work for when I first started. But once that was over, my dad then started to look at his life and, and what he wanted. And uh, his main aim was for me to take over because he, he's always actually hated doing removals. He's, he wasn't for him, but again, he was forced into the business. I wasn't forced. I was the other way. I wanted to join the business. So I started as a porter, obviously. Car license, I was driving at 17, passed within a few weeks, straight onto the onto a 3.5 tonne petrol van, which was great fun to drive because it was a petrol lorry, really, which is very unusual. <laughs> In them days, it was quite funny. I would um, tear around from London. There was no restrictions, really, on what you could do. After driving it for probably about a month, my father went in it and he said to me, do you realise that you've got no front brakes on this vehicle? <laughs> and I'd been driving it around oh, wow. without realising it. I couldn't. I always wondered why it was always a hard thing to stop, but um, luckily no accidents. <laughs> Again, in those days, maintenance that you have to do now was completely different. There was no regular checks that you had to do. It was just, just completely different to what it is now. But um, I then, at uh, 18, I was sent on a bookkeeping course, so I did that nights. And at 18, we moved our home to um, Lenham in Kent, which was 50 miles away. Now, it seems, how could you travel 50 miles to work every day? But there was no traffic. So we would leave at 7 in the morning and we would be at work at 8 o'clock. It was just as simple as that. The M25 wasn't really there then. It was quite new. There was just no traffic. So we did that for... Um, couple of years, at which time then I was 20. I was then engaged for the second time and um, bought a house in Ashford, which was 60 miles away. And so then 
traffic was starting to build up a little bit, but still not too bad. So wherever we were leaving at half six in the morning and I was at work at eight, and then we would stop down two nights a week in Thornton Heath in, in our uh, house that we had, which we run the office from there, the warehouse was there. So I'd stop overnight a couple of nights a week. But hours I was working were probably 60 hours a week. We would work Friday evenings on commercial moves, work for the British Gas, and Saturdays. So I was doing at least 60 hours a week, sometimes not getting home till 10 o'clock at night in Ashford, and it was hard work. My wife then, because I got married at 21, was working in Maidstone and Ashford, so she would uh, stay there and I would see her mainly at weekends because it was just such long hours. I was falling asleep by the time I got home. So that was the sort of start of our life. 21, I passed my HGV, took my test on one of our proper removal lorries. So I never went on a course. My dad just let me drive as soon as I was 21 on the road with L plates, put my test straight in. And there was no theory in them days. So um, I took my test on, on, a, on a full-size removal lorry. This is what my dad was like. He was so confident that I was going to pass that he drove me to the testing centre, which was three miles from our depot. And he said, I'll see you when you're back at the office. And he walked back to the office. <laughs> on my own expecting me to that's pass. confidence and that's confidence luckily i did pass that's how my dad expected me to be he just always expected me to do it then probably i think about 24 25 i then took the cpc course the, the transport managers course so that was a week course that i, I went to oxford drove there every day either from ashford or from thornton heath and that was my uh, cpc passed so then I was ready to run a business, but I still didn't do much. I started to do the wages, but then I still carried on working. To be fair, we had to. We were a small company in them days. I only really had six staff. And so I've probably jumped a bit and missed a bit, actually, because 1988, so I was married in 1987, living in Ashford. In 1988, I had my first child, and that was Sarah. Interest rates were 15% at that rate. So all we were doing was paying wow. a mortgage and that was all we could live on. We was pay a mortgage and no money. We would then have to take my daughter then because then my wife couldn't work because she just had a daughter. So my daughter was chucked in the car and there we was, drove down to Thornton Heath and there she was looking after my mother in between answering the phone. So we were still in Thornton Heath then and we would commute every other day or three days a week to Ashford. So it was um, hard work then. Then 1990, we had our second child, which was Matthew. And believe it or not, we were still commuting with the kids backwards and forwards. And then we started to think wow. traffic was getting bad. I was then having to leave at six in the morning. The car didn't start. I had an old car. We were clocking up the miles. And by chance, my mother decided to buy some furniture in a furniture store in Ashford. And she said, oh, you know, Dad said, do you want it delivered? And they said, oh, no, don't worry. We've got our own removal company. And they said, oh, we're looking for a company to do our deliveries and by chance that's how we got the work and so they said we've got three days work a week and it was very good pay actually in that stage and, and uh, we got a percentage of what we were delivering so it actually was really profitable so brought a lorry home and parked it in a lay-by employed a, a person locally we bought a, a little warehouse and thus we started doing um, deliveries and we put an ad in yellow pages so that was how we started, and, and it was a slow process. We got the odd job. It was very hard, actually, to start. Jobs were, were really quite difficult to come by, and we'd often have an estimate booked, and somebody would then ring up and cancel it. No reason, just said, oh, we decided we just want to cancel. So we 
didn't understand why. Probably a couple of years through, we were trying to run those two businesses, trying to build them up. My dad was working in Tom's Heath and I was trying to run the business in Ashford. And then we had this unusual phone call from somebody that was asking about moving, asking questions and prices. And I, and I was a little bit suspicious of this call and I, and I couldn't work it out. I said, oh, I did one, I, I don't know whether it was one, but you could, you could check what the number was. So 1571 or wherever it was. Anyway, I said, that's a removal company. So then I got the other pages out and I looked through the book and there was this number with a removal company in Ashford. Just, just had that feeling. So I uh, got a load of literature together, put it in an envelope and posted it to the company in Ashford. <laughs> Brilliant. To his credit, he rang up and he apologised. And he said, I'm really sorry. I just wanted to know a bit about you. I said, and he did own up to it and he apologised. And to be fair, after that, I got on quite well with him after that. But, but that was the stage when we realised that we needed to, to be in the British Association of Removers. Never really thought about it before. But we were getting slagged off, really, by all the companies in Ashford. They really had their nose put out of joint that we were in the area. There was about five companies in the area at that point, and Ashford wasn't that big. And so um, we uh, put in an application to join the BAR. At that stage, it took us two years, I believe, to get into the BAR. It was very, very difficult. It was a closed shop as such. Nothing reasoning behind it, but you have a local company come down and inspect you. And to get in the BAR was, was, they just didn't want you in. As far as I was concerned, we was competition they didn't want. But they couldn't stop us after two years because there was no reason to stop us. So there we were in the BAR. And, and around the similar stage, we then shut the whole operation down in Thornton Heath, sold the rights to Croydon to Sarnstead Removals. They bought that and then they operated strength for a short period of time there. And uh, we, we shut the shop up and everything was moved here. We got our CP air operated license for the area and that was it. So that was the start of, of Strength's really big time in Ashford. And uh, I don't think we've ever looked back, to be honest with you. The town's booming, it's growing and growing. We've, we've obviously had recessions, but we've built the company up now to the size it is, really. So I want to go back a bit. Yeah. Was it your granddad that started Strength's? Yeah, my grandfather started Strengths in 1941. He was a very strong-willed and very clever man. He was an engineer by trade. He um, worked in the bomb factory during the day, and during the night he would move out, bombed out people because his family had greengrocers and they had vehicles. One was a Coleman. So they would then go around and help clear out the people that had their houses bombed in the war, and that's how he started the removal company. Wow. But he, so he didn't have to work because he was an engineer. He had to build in the bomb factory, so he didn't go to war as such. But um, that's that's how he started it through that period of time. Um, he had, it was a very hard time for him, but he was very tough. His father had died at a very young age. I think his father was in his 20s when he died. So he was, um, yeah, he, he had a hard upbringing, which he then pushed through onto my father, I think. And I think my father paid for that a bit in his upbringing. He was forced out at 10 to do removals you know, on his own. Wow. Wow. So can you tell everybody about your company and the services it offers today? Yeah. So I always believe you have to be a varied in all the work you do. So we do all aspects of removals. We go overseas. My son has now got the international CPC license. So we do Europe and we do a lot of commercial work. Not as much as we used to, but we do still do an awful lot. We do a lot of schools. We've probably done 25 
schools varying from a hundred pupils to two thousand pupil schools, you know, working some two week jobs we've done. So that's one of our big sort of things we do at the moment, working still with um, Lambeth Council or, or Lewisham and um, Council as it is now. And we work with a few builders like Kia and Built Offsite. We hire crates out. Um, we used to have our own collection. We had at one stage 2,000, but now we've, we've only got a few. So we tend to just hire in through T-Crate, but we still operate a crate hire service. We've got our own warehouse, just under 13,000 square foot. So we've got containerized storage and we do domestic removals. That's the biggest thing in this area. We like to try and do the full pack moves because that's sort of what we really pride ourselves on. But we do the small items. We'll do a piano here and there. But we, we try and do every aspect of removals that there is because you shouldn't specialise in one. You should be able to do it all because otherwise you're limited on what you can do if there's an issue or if there's a recession or something like that. You've got to diversify and do everything you can, really. Safes we move as well. We move up to a, a tonne safe, really, without any fuss. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's our business as, as such. So how many vehicles do you run? How many staff do you employ? How many containers are in your warehouse? So our warehouse um, is not too tall. So we've got 250 containers. Uh, we also do archive storage. So we've got a bit of archive storage. Staff on the road, we have 13. And in the office, we've got two. And then management, there's myself and my son. And vehicles? Yeah, lorries we've got. Um, we did have five HGV lorries. We've now gone down to four HGV lorries and five vans, three of which are low loaders because in this area they seem to work. You know, access is always tight. There's so many narrow driveways and trees and roads and so um, they're used an awful lot and HGV drivers are hard to come by. So we always try and train our drivers from Porter through to HGV driver because they're more loyal. But um, that's the business that we run. So what challenges have you had to overcome, David? I think the challenges have been varied. I think the biggest challenge would be really starting up the company again in, a, in another area. That, that is an immense challenge. Commuting from home to work and back again, that's a big challenge, especially with two children in tow. So that's the sort of challenges that, that started off. I think COVID presently, that's caused masses of change to keep staff safe, to work right through, apart from the first shutdown. It's been difficult learning how to deal with it. Managing staff, that's not easy. When you start off at 16, if you're the governor's son, that is very hard to work with staff, some in their 60s, trying to get on with everyone, trying to fit in, seeing things that you don't like, and learning how to cope. So I would say, when you're the governor's son, the same with my son, it's so difficult to work into that. It probably takes 10 years before you really get a grasp of how to deal with staff. And I think yeah. accepting change. Accepting change is very hard. When you've run everything from 16, so I've been doing this now over 40 years, accepting things are going to change. For instance, you know, I would work on a lorry when I'd finished a job in the 80s and 90s, underneath a lorry till 10 o'clock at night, changing a clutch. Dreadful hours, pouring with rain, freezing cold. Can't expect your son to do that anymore. Lives have changed. My son and, uh, and your staff don't want to work long hours. They want to start at eight and finish at five. 
you can't you know can't expect them to work like you do so i think i think that's one big thing you have to understand is remembering that staff will not work as hard as you and also realistically your children won't work as hard as you because they just can't do it because they're just not used to things have changed just things have changed you know the world has changed we've got rights now that were never there before you know when i started you could always tell a chap if you didn't like him just bugger off and that was the end of it he'd, he'd finished now you, you've got to give a warning you've got to go through the right procedures so that's the hardest part for me the biggest assistance that i could have ever had was believe it or not the british association of removers it was a godsend for me to join in it's slagged off a lot by people an awful lot it's an old boys club it's this it's that but it gives you the paperwork that you need it gives you the contracts that are correct it checks you every year to remind you that you haven't got a contract correct for that person you haven't got this right for that you haven't done the training and people take offense at that but for me it helps me run a proper business most people that start up in the removal industry have started up on their own or they've been brought in it from the family and they're not business minded to run a successful business, you have to be business-minded. You have to understand that you mustn't take things to heart. You've got to take it a business decision. When somebody rings up and says, my television doesn't work, you can't go, well, it definitely is not us. It didn't break. You just say, you have to look at it and think, right, okay, if we tell a person to sod off, they're going to run us down. Say you have to make a business decision. You just say, no problem, madam, we'll pass it on to the insurance company. And if they decide to pay the customer out, just let it go. Because you don't sleep at night. If you let things get to you, you I mean, my biggest thing is not sleeping at night because I fall asleep. It's waking up at five o'clock in the morning, trying to think about the next day. So that's to deal with that, you have to always try and switch off and you've got to take business decisions. But definitely the, for me, lots of people say not the VAR, but it's the paperwork side of it which i like they you know they tell you what you need there's someone so if you've got an employment problem you get on the phone to their aid and they'll give you advice you also i mean I, i've gone to almost every single bar meeting in my area since i joined in 96 i believe every single i don't think i've missed one and you meet people i've got friends now which i would never have had if it wasn't for the bar Never have had them in a million years. And an amazing bunch of friends. I've got companies around that I can call on whenever I need help. I can have a chat. And you then realise as well that you've all got the same problems. When you talk about Mrs Smith down the road, they've had a Mrs Smith down the road. When you talk about your staff not coming in on a Monday morning, they've had that problem. And then you think, oh, actually, though, give us a call. I've got someone who's free that day. And they'll send someone around and we do it the other way. And that's the camaraderie. And a competitor is not always the enemy. They can be your friend as well. And that's a big thing for me. And I've got a lot of support from colleagues and say from the BAR. You mentioned COVID. How has COVID changed the industry? And do you think it's made the industry better? In a word, no, I don't think it's made the industry better. I don't believe it has. I believe that we've had to deal with it. I don't see any change that's that's made the industry better, really. I've looked hard at it. You know, we, we had to wear face masks when we worked. We had to make sure that we were not spreading the germs. 
But the biggest problem would be the, the, the customers you deal with because you're trusting in them. And we can all say we've, we've had a flow test, we've had a check, but you can't prove that. I think the biggest problem with COVID was at the beginning, there was no vaccine. And it was a really bad illness, really severe. I mean, my brother died of it, so I know how severe it was. It was, you know, a killer. Now yeah. I believe if you're sensible, you've had your vaccines, it's not a killer, unless you're very unlucky. At the moment, it's rife. COVID is rife at the present time. Are we carrying it? We are. We're carrying it as normal. I was always wearing a face mask on quotes. Now I would go into a house and I'll say to the customer, do you want to wear a face mask? No, please don't wear a face mask. I still put overshoes on. I still don't touch anything. Still disinfect my hands when I come out. But I think we've moved on and I think life has got to move on. And, I, and I've looked at it hard and, and, I, and I can't see realistically, apart from having perhaps chats being a bit more, definitely being cleaner. I don't think it's changed the industry as such. I think we've had that two year stint of really being careful. We've not spread it to anyone. We've not had anyone ill right up until the non-wearing of face masks and the partying that people could do, then we will start. But now my staff, we get one a week who has COVID. We've almost gone through the whole staff. It only affects one person. You can have two in the cab. One will get it, the other one won't. And then two weeks later. Yeah. So it's not affected how we work, to be honest with you. And we can say that we do this, we say that we do that, but you're always relying on your staff. You can go anywhere in life and you can see people in a cab who were supposed to wear a face mask, not wearing a face mask. Dustman didn't wear face masks throughout. I don't think it's improved the industry. We've obviously got legislation for it. We've got RAMs for it. We've got documentation for it, which we try to follow. But no, I don't think it can. I think the industry is good enough as it is. I don't think that it needed, needs to be any better, realistically. I think it did for the two years, and it, and it was. But now I think we need to start to live with it like, like it's a cold or a flu, as the government has said. If you could change anything from your moving past... What would it be? So, yeah, it would be not taking things personally. I've always, up to 10 years ago, took things really personal. So if I have a complaint from a customer, I will take it personal. If there's a claim from a customer, I will take it personally when I know that it hasn't been done. So, David, just quickly, yeah. is that because it's your name above the door? Yes, yes. And I now realise that you should always, always treat it as a business. You have to separate your, your name and you from the business. And so, you know, you've really got to tell people to count to 10. Don't take the phone off your member of staff when the customer's on the phone complaining. So you're calling back, talk to your staff, run through it all and make your business decisions. And if you have to pay something out, you have to pay something out. I would always say as well, if I could change things, probably. I don't think I would say join, join the BAR earlier because we weren't in a position in Thompson Heath to join the BAR. But um, if I was, it would have been join the BAR as early as you possibly could because you get that documentation in place. Another thing I would always say is, is you should never, ever treat an employee as your friend. You could, might have the odd one, but if you've got to sack somebody, it's very hard to sack a friend. And it's hard to say that, but when you've got eight and sometimes 19 staff working for you and you've got to let somebody go for whatever reason, if you class them as your friend, it's a lot harder to do. 
And I would definitely say when you're in a family company starting up at 16, making friends is hard. My son's had the same problem. He's been very friendly with staff and then something's gone wrong and he's had to discipline them. And that's when you find out that how hard that is. So that's probably one thing I would always say. Always be very, very careful on being too familiar with, with somebody you possibly may have to discipline. Perhaps another one would probably be try to employ non-family in the office. Now, this is not aimed at my wife because we actually work very well together. But my mother, for instance, when my mother was working, when I would have to ask my mother to do something, often it would say, get stuff, do it yourself. So (laughs) I would probably say try to employ not all family in the office. You need to have somebody that when you say can you do that they do it so that's that's one thing to remember you've got to distance your personal relationships with your business relationships because again you've got to tell your family member to do something and there can only be one person who makes the decision at the end so that's something that's i would like to try and change i don't know exactly how but that's that's a difficult one so what is your high point of being in the industry i would say my high point would be Seeing my son, so the fourth generation joined the business, that, that was a real big thing because you don't always expect, you've got two sons and one daughter and you don't always expect your children to follow suit. I think him joining and... Did you want him to follow suit, David? Yes, I did. I did, to be honest with you. Yeah, I did. Yeah, My eldest son, I did. Yeah, no two ways about that. One comment I will just say, my daughter made a funny comment once to me. She's a teacher. Well, she was a teacher. She you knows in Australia. And she said, you never ever gave me the chance to be a part of the business because I was a girl. And that was something that made me think, yeah, that's probably a mistake. I should have given them a chance, to be fair. But again, when you're trying to build a business up, you can only have so many people in the family that you've got to pay. So that that probably hurt me. But don't family work for a cheaper hourly rate? Well, yeah, you'd like to think so. (laughs) But another high point would be when I was first elected as chairman of their local area when the local area was a big area and we used to have 20 people come to a meeting so that was a that was a real achievement i felt i felt privileged to be elected and then i moved on from there and then to be elected as a ded so other companies in the whole of the country had to vote me in that was a a sense of pride don't take rejection very well and so i was very pleased with that and obviously then to be uh, elected again for a second term was really good and how have you found being a ded i've really enjoyed it i'm not frightened in coming forward so i will make my voice heard i'm on other committees now i'm on an advisory committee i'm on another subcommittee looking at how we can improve the bar we're always trying to improve the bar i've again not missed one meeting since i was a ded and that's a lot of meetings in six years that I've been at EED now, especially through COVID, because we were having a, a meeting once a week by Zoom. Yeah. I found that they listen. I won't always say that they do something from what I say, but they listen. I would like to think that my voice is appreciated. I've tried to uh, to go to our areas, which, which I've done. I've been to several areas. I, I always go to Sussex, always go to Kent. I've been to the odd occasion to other areas, but with three DEDs, we're supposed to spread that out. Um, I always go to the conference and I'll spend time talking to as many members as I can, make them know who I am, 
I will get phone calls from other members in this area asking me advice, asking me to put things forward. I've enjoyed it. I would say that you've got to be vocal in what you You can't be quiet if you're a DD. You've got to have confidence in yourself, to be honest with you. I like to think that I'm going to go part time at work and then I want to then move on to getting myself more involved in, if I can, in the VAR, but just, just more involved in trying to to talk about things and I'm just I just like to talk realistically about about my experiences and I'm sure that they help and that's why I put myself down as a DED because we all suffer the same problems on our board we've got big corporate members we've got wealth of knowledge and we've got smaller firms like myself that have got long-term knowledge and so I think it's a good mix oh definitely definitely so what one thing would you change within the moving industry in the whole moving industry, I think the one thing I would change is I would change the fact that we are not recognised as an industry. Because we're not recognised as, as an industry, although the BAR are hard pushing for that, completion times is our worst issue. Never knowing when you're going to get a key. And as I say, staff do not want to work till 7, 8 o'clock at night. So that's the biggest thing we need to change is, is the completion system in the industry and how it works, it's just not fit for purpose anymore. If you've got seven in a chain, how the hell are you expected for all those to go through by one o'clock? And we'll all find it just doesn't work. I've adapted my business into the fact that most moves over 1,500 cubic feet will be a three-day move almost. Load some the day before, load on the day, unload some of it the day after. So I will work like that because of the problems because no even customers don't need to work late so that's the biggest thing we need to change in the industry we're constantly trying to improve it and i can't think of any major thing that i can think that we need to change it apart from trying to get that through so i think there's lots of little things which crop up every now and again but realistically i think it's working quite well on the removal side i don't think there's much we can change so what advice would you give to yourself just starting out in the industry again? Or what advice would you give to your son who's now in the industry? I think if I was going to give my son advice, it would be always remember sometimes you've got to go that extra mile. You can't always go and leave something unfinished. You've got to finish it. Starting out, I would say removals was not your life. You have to have your own times when you can just move away, forget your your remove, and just you've got to have your own private times. You can't live it throughout 24-7. So when you start up, you've got to realise that you have to shut off. You've got to shut yourself off from your business and you've got to have your own personal life. You have to, when you start out, make sure you do things properly. I often see on Facebook people saying, what do I do? You know, someone hasn't paid, someone hasn't done this. I think if you're, if you're running the proper company, get the money up front. Don't finish a job and then expect to get the money. Show you're professional. Look smart. You must be knowledgeable. So when you're starting out, in my opinion, you should at least have worked for a removal company for 10 years before you can think of starting your own business up. If you haven't, you are not going to be knowledgeable enough to run your own business. And you are in a, in a very weak position where you may well fail you've got to realize sometimes you can't make money on everything and sometimes you have to write things off so the answer is write things off when you have to 
and not think that you've got to make profit on everything. Because if you make a mistake, put your hands up, get it sorted. And the quicker it's sorted, the quicker that person recommends you. Getting money up front shouldn't really be an issue, especially if you're a BAR member, because you do have that wonderful advance payment guarantee. I, I quite agree. As a, as a, probably not till three, four years, years ago, did I always push for money up front. And I would you know, often get the chaps to ring up at the end of the, the move and ask for a, a credit card. But um, we've completely changed from that now. And I insist on payment up front. doesn't cause a problem. It just, one, when you're running a smaller business, it's very easy to have the chaps come in and say, oh, was I supposed to have got any money? So uh, to run a proper business, you've got to make sure it's paid before you start. And there isn't any issue if you're in the BAR. But that's one of the things that helps if you are in the BAR. If you're not in the BAR, you don't have any rules. It's pretty ad-lib. Take it as you find it. So where do you see yourself in the industry in the next five years? I see myself going down to three or four days a week working here. I heartily believe that we will get change in the industry. I believe that the government will start to listen to us and we will be able to get reasonable keys so we can unload at a sensible time. Our biggest problems will be lorries and the low, low emission zones because we will have to move possibly to electric at some stage if they can get a breakthrough on electric lorries at the moment there isn't so it's never going to be hydrogen it's going to have to be electric i think so i think moving forward we will be at that stage i don't think we'll ever get to the stage when we're not moving furniture i think people will always have furniture that they want moving i do believe that people now want full packs so i think we will be soon going to a stage when it will be a full package removal all the time where you basically come in box up label up and even unpack at the other end and the customer just carries on working almost up to the point because so many people have to work from home now that that's changed how we run our lives recruitment everything will be the same i think we'll always have problems with lorry drivers i i don't believe that removal company's wages or removal staff's wages now are, are low paid anymore it's a hard decision i just don't believe they are low paid anymore the minimum wage has made a massive difference to us it has made a massive difference to what we pay our staff whereas before unfortunately we were paying the staff low pay and just the more overtime they did the more money they earned. now they can get by on a 40 hour week i think as long as their partner works i don't think there's ever a way where you can manage with just one person working in any industry the pay is fairly good pay now drivers have demanded a good rate of pay and so i think we can always recruit i've advertised for staff recently someone in the office i've got 48 applicants and a porter i got 68 applicants so there's people out there who want to work so the pay must be fairly good because you put the pay when you put the ad in and so therefore the pay is pretty much on par with every other like labor intensified industry well the pay should be good for the hours and the work that the guys do it's whether you can get that money back off the customer at the end of the day i quite agree we have this issue when work dies down people panic and they start absolutely nothing worse than putting in a cheap price just because you know you're worried about work this is where i noticed that we have issues with the smaller company the man in the van type company loot transit firm at the moment there's lots of work about and they're getting more quotes in than they can physically do and i've noticed that they are putting if they get five quotes in for one day they'll put four in at a really high price 
more than us, actually, believe it or not. And then they'll put a cheap price in. The cheap price will book. And then we find that we're full up. And that job that they put that really dear price in then comes to them and says, oh, can you move us? Because we can't find anyone to move me. And then they then drop the cheap one, which I think is rather naughty. But I've noticed that's been happening. So obviously, when it gets quiet, that man and the van company will start to drop their prices. There'll be less of the bigger jobs to do. And then we've got to worry about companies locally then starting to panic here. The bigger firms thinking, what do we do? We know we've got no work, but I'm afraid you have to be, again, your business head and you have to think, right, work is quiet. We're going for a, for a bad patch. So you do not reduce your prices to try and keep all your staff. You unfortunately have to get rid of staff and that's the way forward. That's, that's what you have to do. You have to if you reduce your lorries, you have to reduce your lorries try and diversify, try and look around for other work, ring around companies, do they want some deliveries done? But the answer is not to drop your prices, but unfortunately it is to reduce your workforce. And, and I think that's what we have to be a little bit more. We're not like that at the moment. We're very unusual when we try and keep all our staff and, and sometimes just can't do it. Any big company out there, when, when work dries up, they get rid of staff because they have to make those business decisions. That's very hard, but that's, that's something I think you've got to do. So what do you do outside of the industry to switch off? I'm very active, really, to be honest with you. Since I was old enough to ride a motorcycle, I do motorcycle trials, show jumping on motorcycles, as it used to be called. Again, that's a family trait. It started with my grandfather, went through to my father, who was a, a works rider, sponsored, basically, with a new bike, and to me and to my son. That's something I've not done as much of. I think since COVID, I've never really picked it up as much, but I, I've done a British Championships before. I, I've got a, I've got three motorcycles. I've got a modern one. I've got a what we call a twin shot, which is a 1980s bike, air-cooled, and I've got a 1963 BSA, which is the pre-65. In a couple of, well, three weeks' time, I'm up at Glencoe, just up from Ben Nevis, doing a two-day motorcycle competition there, which is an international. So that's one of my sports, um, although I'm definitely not as fit as I was. And I play golf. It's my other passion. I mean, that's something I've really tried to pick up on. I've always played a little bit of golf since I was about 20 with my wife's family, the odd occasion, the odd Christmas and Easter. But again, since being a member of the BAR, I was introduced to uh, individuals who then asked me to go to Portugal one year and I was hooked and I've played golf ever since. So that was 2000 and 10 i believe 2009 in fact so um i play a lot of golf go to portugal once or twice a year lots of uh, corporate dues i do lots of charity golf and i play at least once a week so um that's that's what i've took over it's took over from my motorcycle trials realistically although i still try and ride a bit but um golf is a, is a real passion and um i get work from it believe it or not i'm a member of my local club and um I get quite a few few jobs out of that, so that's good. Good bit of promotion. We've moved a, a year ago, so I've got a eight acres of land with our house. So I've got a little old Massey Ferguson tractor, which I uh, I cut the back field <laughs> on. I'm always always doing something realistically, and watch a bit of telly now and then. But mainly outdoors, mainly outdoors. Yes. And finally, I like to end my podcasts with a funny moving story. Do you have one or more to tell? 
where do I start? 40 years I've done this job. Um, I've got plenty <laughs> that I couldn't, um, I couldn't comment on, but I've got uh, <laughs> quite a few that a lot in the snow. So in, when we used to be in Thornton Heath, we would get a foot of snow. In the 80s, it snowed a lot. So we'd have to dig our way in and dig our way out. And I remember one occasion, it was a, a really snowy, icy track we had to walk. And there we was carrying the washing machine down the track. And me and uh, Barry, my uh, colleague, we both slipped at the same time. And we slid all the way down this hill with this washing machine straight under the lorry. <laughs> and we just couldn't stop. Believe it or not, the washing machine still worked. It had a couple of little scrapes. <laughs> and then um, the following, I think the following year, we had a typical completions, you know. We knew there was heavy snow due and we were outside this house waiting for the keys to go through and there was a problem with the banks and they never went through. So um, that took us three days to move those people in after that because of the snow. So we we got there the first day and we had to spend three hours digging to the house and we were walking down these steps. I turned my back and I thought, where's my mate gone? Where's he gone? He'd stepped off a path that he couldn't see and he'd gone down an eight-foot snowdrift. <laughs> it was the funniest thing I've ever did see, just to see him peering up. He'd gone in almost like a, like a tunnel. It was so, so funny. <laughs> and then another one, I remember when I was younger, we, we knocked on a knocked on. I wasn't warned. I, I blame my father. He really should have warned us. So there he was. We knocked on this house <laughs> and the lady answered the door. She was, I don't know, probably about 70. And she had a full-blown moustache. <laughs> so there was three of us. We knocked on the door. There was me, Bill, who was about 60, and Barry himself. We knocked on the door. And she, she opened the door, and we looked at this lady, and me and Barry, we just turned around and ran back to Laurie and couldn't do anything for at least 10 minutes, killing ourselves laughing. <laughs> and we left Bill to sort it out. So that, that was such so funny. I've never laughed so much in my life. And a, and a similar situation about, I don't know, eight years ago, we, we, we'd moved a couple and they said, oh, we're on the move again. Could you move us again? So I was quoting, obviously, then. So uh, knocked on the door. Hello. I said hello to the lady. She showed me around the house and um, the gentleman was sitting in the, uh, that we'd moved before, was sitting at the table reading a paper. Just, you know, just like they do, up like that. And when I looked down, he, he had a dress on. And no. he went, hello, David. And um, she said, oh, don't mind him. He likes to be known as Jane now. They were divorcing because he decided that he was no longer going to be a man. He was going to be known as Jane. So, Oh, wow. To try well, and, it does happen. To try and walk around the house, trying to talk normal to a person that you'd seen before, yeah. really not that long ago, Still looking like a gentleman, but um, unfortunately dressed as, as a woman was, was quite difficult with lipstick as well and long, you know, the, the hair if it was long. And again, trying to look them in the eye and talk to them without trying to show any, uh, any facial expressions was very difficult at the time. <laughs> I then had to obviously warn my, I did warn, I wasn't like my father. I warned my staff very clearly what to expect. So that was really quite funny. Oh, brilliant. And probably other ones I, I, I probably can't mention. <laughs> but <the> usual, <laughs> I, I suppose one other thing was moving a lady on our job is fine, unusual things. 
unusual things that you know you wouldn't mention. But when you do a full pack, you're given these very awkward situations. So you know you're packing in a wardrobe and you find something. Now on this occasion, I was packing in a, in a wardrobe at the top because you always check at the top of the back of the wardrobe because there's always something right at the back that they can't reach. There was these papers, pulled these sheets out, and they was um, photographs that you wouldn't want to be showing your children of the lady. <laughs> <laughs> everything that you would expect to see very intimate pictures and so <laughs> and then i've got this massive dilemma haven't i i've got these photos she had children and they were 10 11 12 what do i do with these photos so do i leave them where she's got friends helping her pack at the back of the wardrobe which was a fitted wardrobe i thought no i'm going to put them in so i'll put them in a knicker drawer because i thought that's probably the best place for them and that's what I did. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Brilliant. David, thank you very much for giving up your time this morning to record an episode of Moving Matters with me. I truly appreciate it. I sincerely hope you enjoyed episode 44 of Moving Matters. Please rate, review and subscribe in your favourite podcast player of choice and please tell your industry colleagues about Moving Matters. My thanks and appreciation go to David Strank of Strank's Removals and Storage for giving up his time to record this episode. Thank you again, David. If you would like to know more about Strank's Removals and Storage and the services they provide, then you will find links within the show notes for this episode and on our webpage, movingmatterspodcast.co.uk. And please... If you have a funny moving story that can be relayed to our listeners or you would like to be a guest on the podcast, then do reach out to me by completing the contact form on our webpage, movingmatterspodcast.co.uk. Well, that is all from me. So until next time, keep moving. <laughs>